David Shustikov pastored a church in Uzbekistan. He had an idealized notion of how well he would stand up under persecution or imprisonment for his faith. But when he was arrested at his church one Sunday morning and placed in a jail cell, the true difficulty of the situation began to sink in. But these romantic feelings disappeared very quickly when they throw me into the cell with all other criminals and I saw what's going on in there. And I heard someone was tortured in a cell next to ours. And at that point, all romantic feelings disappeared. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. We have a very special guest. Some of you who have listened, who have followed Voice of the Martyrs for a long time, you will know this name, uh, but you will have not met him yet. And uh, some of you will have written letters to him, in fact. We're in the studio today with Dmitry David Shestikov, former prisoner for Christ in the nation of Uzbekistan. We're going to hear his story. We're going to hear about what God is doing in the country of Uzbekistan. David, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. Let's start at the very beginning of your story. How did you first come to faith in Christ? I have a typical story, I would say, for the former Soviet Union country, for the 1990s, when a lot of missionaries came to our country and to our city as well. I was a sportsman, and I was a member of the youth gang, in our city and at some point I started to use drugs and at, by the age of 21 my life was an absolute wreck and I didn't see any cause to live this life and my mom was so stressed seeing me like that and being atheist and communist she uh, came to the church with one prayer she prayed God if you exist save my son so your mom was an atheist, but she prayed. I mean, that speaks that she was completely desperate. She was really desperate because she uh, seen no other way to help because all our relatives turned uh, their back to me. Nobody wanted to really talk to me, and only she was fighting for me, and the last uh, resort she has was a church. Even she did not believe uh, in God, she came with this prayer. So God, if you're real, save my son, do something. What happened? She attended uh, this particular church for a year with one prayer only without believing in God, just with one prayer. God, if you exist, save my son. And by the end of this year, somehow she managed to drug me 
and my wife <laughs> to this church, and she placed me on the first row uh, of this church. What did she say about you going to church? I mean, how did she get you to convince to go? She, she repeatedly uh, was uh, telling me during this year, you have to go to the church, you have to go to the church. And I finally said, okay, what's going on there? She said, oh, a lot of people, you know, became free of their addictions. And David asked, are they quit smoking, some of them? She said, yeah, 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 some of them quit smoking. And David said, okay, I want to quit smoking. I didn't like to smoke, so I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to church. She made you sit on the very front row. What happened in that service? Uh, I was in a really bad mood that day, and I was trying to find a way to escape. Because all these, you know, loud voices and clappings and, you know, preaching, I was very dislike what I saw. But they didn't allow me to escape. They just, all those grandmas on the first row, they <laughs> surrounded me and didn't let me <laughs> escape. And I was about to, you know, to just push them and escape, but no. <laughs> and, I, I had terrible headache. And I, I, I knew I need more drugs at that point. But nevertheless, inside of my heart, I was completely sure that something is going to happen today. I didn't un understand anything uh, out of you know sermon or what's going on around me. But one grandma constantly uh, were coming to me and said, God loves you, God loves you. And uh, after the sermon, pastor approached us, me and my wife, for some reason. He started to pray not for the whole congregation, but directly for me and my wife. He laid his hands upon us and started to pray. I was starting to cry, and uh, also the whole church started to cry with us, maybe 70 people at that time. Okay, and uh, everyone was just amazed that I am crying because everybody knew me as a criminal, you know, and they saw me crying and they was amazed about what's happening. When I opened my eyes, I saw a completely different world. I grabbed this pastor, I shook him and said, what's happened to me? And he said, it, it, it was repentance. And I said, what, what do you mean repentance? What it means? But God uh, truly deeply touched me this day and he saved me this day. Amen. So God got a hold of your life, and then you became a worker. I mean, you became a, an evangelist. Talk about what God had done in your life and why you were so anxious to share that with other people. I maybe was not uh, able to verbalize these thoughts at first, but within just first few days after my repentance, I promised God that I will serve him. I was so touched, deeply touched by his love. And I didn't know how, I didn't know where, but I was sure that at some point I will serve him till the rest of my life. How soon did you know that that would be costly, that that, that would involve suffering and persecution? Mm. Uh, but from the first uh, days, 
I was praying to God and I imagined a Christ crucified on the cross and I imagined his suffering on the cross and I even told him that if I uh, will go through my own suffering uh, in your sake, I will go through it. You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're talking today with Dmitry David Shestikov, former prisoner for Christ in Uzbekistan. So, David, a, a few months after you became a believer, you actually moved to a different city and began the process of planting a church. How soon after that did the trouble start? Did the persecution begin? I would say our first troubles began in 1997 when government declared re-registration of all churches in our country. And approximately at the same time, we started to see Uzbeks coming to Christ and uh, repented and converted from Islam to Christianity. And it was a, a concern for our uh, government and at the same time, I was told that I have to throw out Uzbeks from our church. It was demand, basically, from the government. And at this point, we started experiencing a pressure from a government side. So the, the government was concerned that Uzbek people were coming to faith in Christ, were leaving Islam. Why did that bother the government, or, or why was that a problem for them? One, one of the reasons, because our local mullahs approached the government with a complaint that some of the members are converted to Christianity, because all those converts are uh, immediately outcasts from the whole society. They have a problem to find a job, they have a problem to communicate with the uh, other family members, and they warn government that if such people will be like uh, more and more, uh, it will be a social problem for the region, for the particular city. So what did that pressure look like? I mean, did the police come and visit you and say, hey, you need to stop this? Did, did they close down your church? How did it kind of escalate from things are going okay to... Okay, now we're under intense pressure. They were trying to apply uh, a pressure from all government agencies existed. I was, yes, I was called to the police, and police approached our church numerous times. Uh, I also had called from prosecutor's office to come to, to talk about that. I have numerous calls from the mayor, mayor's office, you know, to come and talk about my church and about this issue. So from basically all government channels, we experienced pressure. And so when were you arrested? In, in 2007. And what did you think when, when the police came and now you're in custody? How, how were you feeling or how were you in your spirit? They took me uh, on a Sunday morning out of, from my church. I was not even able to preach that Sunday. So they took me from the church. They uh, brought me to the police station. They uh, ha uh, put handcuffs on my hands. And my first feelings were, uh, I would say, like romantic feelings. I, I, I was thinking I'm worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. 
but these romantic feelings disappeared very quickly when they throw me into the cell with all other criminals and I saw what's going on in, a, in this cell and I heard someone was tortured in a cell next to ours and at that point all romantic feelings disappeared. So what was your prayer at that point as those romantic feelings disappeared? What were you praying as you saw, okay, I'm in a really desperate situation now? I was not able to pray. I, I knew I need to pray, but I was not able. And later they put me to another cell, isolation cell, where I was alone. And in this cell, I forced myself to, you know, to talk to God. It was an awkward, awkward situation. Uh, I'm a pastor, and I taught uh, my you know, people that they have to pray in all circumstances. And I myself was not able to pray. I understood that, and I just forced myself to, to, to say something, something to God. And I, I approached the window, and I looked at the sky, and my first words were, Why me, God? Why I'm here? There are many other pastors that are better than myself, so why me? Shoot <laughs> you. That's a joke. <laughs> but <laughs> but the, the reason that makes me so interested is because even in the first days after you came to faith, you saw Christ on the cross and you understood there's going to be suffering here. But then in that moment, you had that experience of saying, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I forgot my first prayer. <laughs> we just bought a church building, just a few months. And I was blessed by a new car. Someone just gave it to me. We have a good family and a good relationship with my wife and kids. Everything was great. And I had two questions. Why me and why, why now? So how did God answer those questions? And, and how long did it take to answer those questions? I didn't hear any answers, maybe because those questions were foolish. And I did not understand why I was in prison until probably my release. I accepted my situation, but I never understood why I'm here. I have several moments where God encouraged me to go through this journey, and one moment was when my wife brought me a word from a local pastor who said, David, maybe the authorities are trying uh, a new tactic on you. They will see what's going to happen if they will start to imprison Christian pastors. And we're very thankful to you that you are bearing this burden for all of us. And this word was really encouraged me to go through this trial. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit into the story when you were in prison, because one of the ways that Voice of the Martyrs helps prisoners is by encouraging American Christians to write letters to them in prison. You were one of those prisoners on PrisonerAlert.com. We told people write letters to David Chestikov in prison, write letters to the Uzbek government, ask them to release him from prison. Talk about what it meant to you inside the prison when those letters started coming. 
На сто процентов я сразу хочу поблагодарить всех подписчиков. Uh, for example, in connection with my last thought that I was just uh, an example set by government to see what's going to happen, and I became a big headache for uh, Uzbek government because people from all over the world and from United States, they send uh, letters, prayers, they uh, express their disappointment of me being in prison unjustly. And they, they experiment didn't go well. And we do not see any more uh, imprisonment in Uzbekistan. I was the only one who was imprisoned for so-called extremism and distribution religious literature. And after my release, no one was imprisoned for a big term. So you think in some ways the letters have kept other pastors out of prison, because the government saw this gets international attention, this makes us look bad. Yes, I'm 100% sure that it works like that. Let's talk about not just other pastors, though. Let's talk about you, because I know there was one time in the prison where new guards had just come in and some letters showed up, and it, it really made things dramatically better for you. In uh, our prison, they replaced a police officers, the guards, every year in order to prevent uh, corruption. So uh, our new guards, new officers who uh, came to the duty, they usually beat up those prisoners who imprisoned on for extremism like myself. They beat them first, then they introduced themselves. So, and all the time where uh, this replacement of the officers took place, they called me and at the same time a post office, you know, a worker approached with a sack full with these letters. And he usually started to scream through the, all this headquarters, this Shestakov, we got tired of him, we got tired of these uh, letters and everybody get out of the rooms just to see what he's screaming about and what why he's upset and he explained that this Shostakov receiving like a hundred letters a day and everybody get tired of these letters and so on and so forth and th those new officers new guards were impressed by the fact that this person received such uh, attention all over the world and they were really polite to me and they ask the questions whether I knew all those people uh, all around the world. David, some of the people who wrote those letters are going to be listening to this radio broadcast. I would like you to speak directly to them and, and just tell them what it meant that they wrote those letters. I was dreaming about this opportunity to say thank you out of my heart. And I really admire what you have done for me and for my family. Because these letters, this support created different opportunities for me while I was in prison, as I said. But also it encouraged me personally that I am not forgotten that many people remember me. And the first attack I experienced in prison uh, was the thought that I left behind and everybody forgot about me. That was my first you know, thoughts and all my suffering in, uh, sufferings in vain. 
But receiving all those letters every day from all over the world encouraged me to go through this trial. So thank you very much for what you have done for me. What was the hardest time or what was the low point of your time in prison? It was just before my release because I learned that the government want to increase my uh, sentence for three more years. And in order to do so legally, they put me three times into isolation cell. It's, it's a form of torture in Uzbek prison when they open the door during the night and allow to snow even camp to the cell. And you cannot sleep because of the cold. And you cannot sleep during the day because of the regime. And they don't just not allow you to sleep. So at one point I was there for 22 days without sleep. And it's really uh, hard and it's, it's, a, it's a torture. The uncertainty. Uh, whether I will be given more prison term or not, whether I die in this isolation cell or not, was really, really hard. But at the same time, when I was released from prison, miraculously, absolutely miraculously, and I've been told by the um, chief guard of this prison that no one in the history of this prison was released as I was released. Wow. No one, no criminal, you know, people, nor wealthy people, no people of power who was imprisoned for some reason. And just the Christian pastor was released after three isolation cells and after all paperwork was done for his next term, he was released. Wow. It's like a scripture came to life, uh, Act 12.5, uh, while Peter was in prison. The church sincerely prayed for him. And after church prayed, we learned about uh, his miraculous release. So the same thing happened in my life. Last question. I know you have a family, you have a wife and daughters that suffered also while you were in prison. How can we pray for the families of Christian prisoners around the world. It was hard to me, but for my family, it was even harder, for my wife and for my kids. And of course, uh, we should pray for the families of imprisoned Christians with the, probably the same, first of all, prayer to strengthen their faith, and the second, to raise more supporters. Because in my case, I have a lot of people who supported my family with their prayers, with the finances, with all the needs they have. So the needs of my family were covered. And I'm thanking God for that. To be a part of the one body of Christ, one church. And we should pray that the people in the world will pay more attention to those who suffer. One of the ways that uh, our listeners can do that is through the Voice of the Martyrs, what we call the Families of Martyrs Fund, which is money that helps the families of prisoners, helps uh, the families of those who have died for their faith. So if you're interested in giving to support that, you can come to vomradio.net and just click on the Donate tab at the top of the page. David, it has been such a joy to have you here today. Uh, having seen your picture on Prisoner Alert, having seen the pictures of your family and prayed for you and prayed for them, uh, to have this chance to firsthand hear your story is just a great blessing. 
Thank you for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And thank you, thank you very much for what you are doing and was my dream. I wanted to be here, I wanted to see you, I wanted to hug you, and I wanted to thank you for your great work and support that you are doing for those who persecuted and for my family in particular. Well, it's our honor and blessing to stand with brothers and sisters like you around the world. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, you can hear this interview again at vomradio.net. And again, if you want to help the families of prisoners, you can click on the Donate tab at the top of vomradio.net and then click on Families of Martyrs. What makes you solid and reliable as a servant for God's kingdom? Next week, we're going to hear from a pastor in South Asia who says suffering and persecution are often what God uses to make us pure and strong. We'll hear how this brother is living that out in Asia. Next time, we're together right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.